you from Palm Springs, California, in Chicago, Illinois. This is Bruce Dumont with our Beyond the Beltway analysis of national politics featuring occasional injections of rumor and innuendo, all offered up by a panel of political insiders, pundits, power brokers, public servants, professors, and most importantly, plain-speaking Americans from coast to coast. Tonight featuring commentary by Republican Bruno Barron, Democrat Peter Hanna, Republican Charles Moran, and Democrat Priscilla Richardson. Our program tonight comes to you from our studios of KGX Radio in Cathedral City, California, and our home base back in Chicago at the Museum of Broadcast Communications. Our toll-free lines are now open at 1-800-723-8029. That's 1-800-723-8029. If you'd like to send me an email, it's Bruce Dumont at museum.tv. If you want to tweet me a comment, it's at Dumo, at D-U-M-O. And you can find this program also online at beyondthebeltway.com and also on our Beyond the Beltway with Bruce Dumont Facebook page. Nice to have you with us. Unique broadcast this evening, somewhat historic. Uh, I am in beautiful Palm Springs, California, or Cathedral City to be exact, California, with two guests. And back in our home base in Chicago, we've got two guests that uh, are familiar to you, but we have some new guests that uh, uh, from California that we welcome this evening. Two Republicans, two Democrats with a different perspective uh, on what's happening in the world. And uh, first of all, let us uh, throw up... I want to ask our Republicans, so I'm going to start with you, Bruno Barron, back in Chicago. At this moment in time... Uh, Give me your assessment of President Trump as it relates to the shutdown. Is he winning this battle? Is he losing this battle? And how important is this battle to his presidency? Uh, First of all, Bruce, I just want to say that if I move to Palm Springs or possibly Newport Beach, can I get on the air in California with you? Absolutely, because you've been thinking of moving out to Palm Springs. Uh, we, have you it's not? really funny. We're we're very conservative, <laughs> but we love California. Um, <clears throat> all things California, just about. But you know, I think it's too soon to say. Um, I mean, we're looking at the first week of a Democratic Congress. Uh, the Republicans lost Congress. Trump might deserve some uh, blame for that, but then again, you could also look at Paul Ryan and how few uh, things that the House actually did, whereas the Senate, the Republicans actually gained. But clearly there are some problems uh, in, on, the, on the Republican side right now. So who knows what's going to happen? I mean, obviously the, the media is always going to say, you know, Trump is just about sunk. He's just about indicted. He's just about done, and he's just about sued out of existence. And then he keeps on coming back, and then you get a headline like the jobs report and everything like that. But it's, it's too soon to say whether he's on the ropes or not. Um, Let's ask Charles Moran, who is one of the leading Republican political operatives in uh, California, now doing work in Washington, D.C., former head of the log cabin Republicans in this state, but uh, many other accolades as well. Uh, what's your take on the president right now in his presidency? Bruce, thanks for having me on, and uh, good to see everyone. Um, I think we're at the point now where uh, you know most of the American people just – they know the government is, quote, shut down, but, you know, the mail's continuing to get delivered. When you go to the airport, TSA is still, you know, you get bags are getting checked. Airplanes are still flying. Um, people have not felt the impact of the shutdown, partially because it is a partial shutdown. Things are it's, – it's, this is not the shutdown that we saw that Chuck Schumer put into place um, a couple of years ago. This is clearly not what we saw in the 1990s when we had a full shutdown. Um, with Bill Clinton and, and Newt Gingrich and the Republicans who took over the House. So um, it, it's, it's, again, reframing the narrative. And I think right now President Trump is, 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 is framing this as this is a national security issue. If we can't get this right, um, then we have no business being in leadership in government, and he's going to keep pushing until 
um, there is some sort of compromise. Um, I think there is room for compromise on both sides. Uh, but I don't, you know, again, this week has been about the new swearing in of the Democratic Congress um, and about their priorities and then having that moment to talk about what they believe in. So I don't think that we've actually hit the point where both sides are ready to actually sit down and talk talk turkey and, and, and really come up with some sort of um, co- bipartisan compromise. Priscilla Richardson mm-hmm. is joining us here in Palm Springs. She's uh, with the Democrats of the Desert, a longtime Democrat in the California uh, state. And my question to you, Priscilla, is um, from a from a political situation – is Donald Trump as vulnerable right now? Is Do you worry that he's going to make a comeback? I mean, how, how politically dead is he in your view? I don't think he's politically dead as long as we have the media um, access that he has and the um, sort of the echo chamber with Fox News and his supporters being acolytes of that kind of a a media echo chamber. So I believe that his base, which is fairly small, is well intact and that he will continue to try to please that base and that he has done things that have, uh, he has fulfilled the promises, especially in the area of conservative judge appointments and getting two new conservatives on the Supreme Court. I think that he's done a lot that he said he would do to maintain his base. But again, his base is not by any means the majority of the American people. Peter Hannum, let's go back to you, Democrat in Chicago. Uh, what's your take on the president's political, you know, as a political commodity right now? Do you think he's vulnerable? I think he's made himself pretty vulnerable. And, and uh, I guess before I go any further, thanks, Bruce, for having me on. And good to see everyone uh, over there in a much warmer place. Um, I think he's done a lot to make himself more vulnerable than he has been in the past. Um, I think he's also proven uh, time and again that he's uh, fairly resilient uh, to some of the attacks that I think, um, you know, we hear in media uh, on and again. But, you know, with respect to this um, border wall face-off, it's just so immensely stupid. And I think it hasn't really hurt people yet in a way that people are contacting their lawmakers um, but I think we're going to get to that point if he <clears throat> maintains his current stance. And then I think his base, which, uh, like Priscilla said, is, is you know, relatively small, I think that's when the base will start um, being part of that group of, of Americans who are being hurt by this you know, pointless shutdown. Well, the president said today that the, the federal workers uh, who are out of work, that they are basically supportive of having a secure border and making sure that the Border Patrol, also federal government workers, when they've asked for help and they have said that a wall or some sort of a fencing would be helpful, that he's basically basically agreeing with some federal workers and giving them exactly what they want. Is there some, is there some logic to that? I mean, I I mean do the rest of the federal workers somehow don't care about national security or don't care about border security? No, I think they all do. I think all Americans do and all Americans should. But I think when you look at the border wall, um, there are no number of policymakers on both sides of the aisle and you know, both sides of the uh, ideological spectrum who agree that um, a physical barrier is not the solution to our immigration problems. The thing for Donald Trump is and for America, unfortunately, is is the border wall has become a, a kind of a totem, um, a symbolic representation of a promise that he made to his base. Um, although I think he's forgotten the second half of the promise. The promise wasn't, I'll just build a wall. I mean, that was what was chanted at his rallies. It was, I'll build a wall and Mexico will pay for it. And yet here we are 
where he's basically begging uh, a divided Congress uh, to give him billions of dollars, five billion dollars, which is actually a fraction of what would actually be needed for the wall um, to build this thing. Charles? Um, You know, I I think it's funny that we talk about a quote-unquote pointless shutdown when Chuck Schumer and the Democrats in the Senate did exactly the same thing by shutting down the government um, over DACA, which, again, another immigration reform. So it's funny the hypocrisy amongst the Democrats and liberals to talk about their kind of shutdown that they support versus a shutdown of another kind. Secondary. we got a break when we come back. 1-800-723-8029 from coast to coast and border to border. And tonight from Cathedral City, California, I'm Bruce Dumont. Don't go away. Standing up for what's right, helping out when things go wrong, seeking the truth and speaking our minds, not just making records, but breaking them, leading the way behind the camera, beyond the runway, and on the silver screen, not just making our mark, but making a difference. Now that's a job for a Girl Scout. Girl Scouts, preparing girls for a lifetime of leadership. Live from Chicago, it's Saturday Night Live, The Experience. Tuesday through Sundays, and open late on Wednesday nights at the Museum of Broadcast Communications. Order tickets at museum.tv. Come on back at Beyond the Beltway, continuing from Cathedral City, California this evening, 1-800-723-8289. Now, Priscilla Richardson is one of our Democrats. She joins me in studio here in California. And uh, Priscilla, uh, when the president made his campaign pledge about the wall and added that Mexico was going to pay for it, do you as a political operative know that for him to cave in on that promise, it's probably the end of his political career? And, and that's one of the reasons he's, he's made a big point that when he's made promises, he's kept the promises, and he's done pretty pretty good record in that. But the only one that most people all remember is the wall. He's got to have the wall, and the Democrats can't give him the wall. No, they can't and they won't. Um, interestingly, I was hearing a, a radio broadcast on my way over here, and they were talking about the initial beginning of the whole build the wall thing and that it was that Roger Stone and other advisors wanted to get him talking about immigration as a topic on the campaign trail and he wasn't doing it very much and so they gave him this short sweet let's build a wall and make Mexico pay for it and of course that immediately caused a lot of cheering and a lot of noise and the adulation that Trump seems to crave. Um, And so when he heard people approving of this, he just went for it. I don't think that it was ever um, initially thought out as a policy move. I don't think it was thought out as a budget move. Uh, It certainly was not thought out in terms of talking to the Mexican government ahead of time about, hey, will you pay for this guy if we build it? Um, So I I really think it was one of those off-the-cuff sort of a Twitter, um, and that once it was out of his mouth 
And once he saw that people thought that was really great and fun, he wasn't able to back down from but he, it. But he started that literally when he came down uh, the escalator. He talked about, uh, you know, he talked about the Mexicans. He talked he talked about about a wall at that point, I believe. Bruno, I want to go back to you because you, for those listening, uh, you've not been a big Donald Trump fan from the get-go. Right. You throw him his, his bouquet when you think he deserves it. And, and and you're on the other side of the wall, are you not? You don't believe the wall is a good idea? Um, I've never really thought it was that great an idea. Um, I've always told all my conservative <clears throat> friends who want a wall that you can take a $200 billion wall and just de- defeat it with a twenty you know, a $20 ladder that's a little taller. Um, but there's also something to be said. I mean, I, I consider myself an open-minded guy. So you read the articles and you look at areas where walls have worked. Um, so there might be something to be, let's put it this way. If you build some kind of wall, you are certainly going to deter the kinds of mad dash across the river crossings and the kind of stuff that you have in the middle of the desert. So I think it's unfair to say that the wall. Listen, do our, do our Democrats agree with that? I mean, literally, the the mad uh, Peter. Would you agree with that? Um, I mean, I'm not uh, an expert in physical security, but what I could say is there are a host of issues that people who are ex- um, a host of um, solutions that people who are experts in physical security could point to that are superior to a wall, um, particularly a wall that would, you know. Now, would you now would you would you support them? See, uh, when I when I hear I hear Democrats saying they support border security. But no. I don't see any speci- – I never hear any specificity oh. of exactly well, what I, it Bruce, is that you I can want. give Bruce, you a lot we, of specificity. We, we can Bruce, go back to actually, that. Actually, yeah. in terms of specifics, you know, for example, more people who work at the, you know, at the border, more officers down there, more people policing the border, more courts, more immigration judges to actually get – you know what? What you know? A lot of people on the uh, in the Trump camp, you know, Trump side say are spurious asylum cases, like process. A lot of you know resources to that's get. That's a that's 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 important. But there are other things, Charles. Bruce, this is this is it. The Democrats in 2006 overwhelmingly in the House and the Senate voted for the Secure Fence Act that passed the House 283 to 138 and passed the Senate 80 to 19. Hillary Clinton said in 2015 that I voted when I was a senator to build a barrier to try to prevent illegal immigrants from coming in. Democrats have absolutely been on board with building a fence, a barrier. I mean, these are all synonyms for a wall. I I find it interesting that Democrats all of a sudden are forgetting their history where just barely 10 years ago, they were on board with this very fundamental um, aspect of border security, which is a physical security. The history is, is very, very recent. Well, I can remember. I think it, I think it really comes down to, they just don't like Donald Trump. This is all about Trump. This isn't about security. This isn't about national interest. This is just trying to oppose the quote-unquote wall, because they've been on record. Charles, uh, Clinton, Barack Charles Obama, they've all been on record supporting like, uh, a barrier. Charles They're sounds all like a supporting very enthusiastic it. pupil of uh, democratic history. It's called, and, uh, I'm a fan of history. I'm a fan of history because Democrats have been there. I'm a fan of history because it's real. Uh, These are votes. Charles, Democrats voted. In, I'd appreciate Democrats it. voted Charles for it. also seems like a very you know enthusiastic proponent of whataboutism, which is all backwards-looking and not forwards-looking or solution-oriented. The fact is this, this wall thing, we can talk about it for the next two hours. The truth is it's a campaign promise that Donald Trump made at the recommendation of Roger Stone and Sam Nunberg that he got in his head is a real thing that people want because exactly as Priscilla said, the reaction from crowds was so positive. And now we're stuck 
trying to with no government with a government shutdown to 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 fund this fantasy. Ten years of democratic so, promises no, come I, up with no, nothing, I, and Donald Trump's I, doing something. But about I, it. I think part of the to, to put uh, you know Charles' point in into perspective, and he. he he is correct that once upon and Priscilla, I think you would recall this as well. Back in the back in the late nineties, I mean, Diane Feinstein and Barbara Boxer, during the Clinton administration, they had an operation. I think it was called Gatekeeper. It was an aggressive program to stop the illegal flow of immigrants into the United States, and it was supported by Democrats. It was supported. By, it was a bipartisan reaction. To what was going on, Bruce. and again, there, there there have been speeches by Barack Obama, by Bill Clinton, by other Democrats, including Hillary Clinton, that once upon a time they believed in that because they felt that was part of their elective base. Well, what's happened? What's happened? And this this goes back to Donald Trump. Donald Trump, when he talked about the wall, he basically engaged and energized a large percentage of Mexican Americans or the the immigration crowd. And they have they have taken it as if you're for the wall, you're against immigration, not just illegal immigration. You're against all immigration. Well, immigrants, and, and particularly, they're immigrants. personifying it. And now, Bruce, do you, do you, is that your recollection, Priscilla? The Democrats once upon a time supported this. Um, yes, it is my recollection, and I think that for years and years. The immigration system has been so terribly broken, and it has never received the overhaul that it has needed, that Democrats have asked for and Republicans have asked for, but nobody has ever quite had the tenacity to actually examine every aspect of that system and make it work for immigrants. One of the reasons that we have the problem with illegal immigrants is that we don't have a legal system for immigration that works in a timely, predictable fashion. So if you don't have timely and predictable in your government and have it the whole system funded to the max, the way it needs to be funded to work, then of course people are going to come illegally because they're are not any other options. And yes, then you say we need a lot more security on the border of every kind, technology, more border people, the whole bit, plus the fact that the arms and the drugs that are coming from Mexico and Central America are the arms that were sent there by the United States, and we are culpable in a lot of the crime and the gang issues and so forth in Central America and Mexico. Uh, I'm, Bruno Barron, back to you. I'm not sure I agree with that last part. Uh, I think there's plenty of, you know, it, I, I know America is at, the, at fault for almost every bad thing that happened in the world, but that's probably <laughs> not it, uh, not one of them. But regardless. Um, our thirst our thirst for drugs cannot be underestimated. I, 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 As that, a nation, I'm not making we have that, a thirst for drugs yeah. that just cannot be met. Well, that's one point, and the other point is you have a very poor nation on the border with a very, very rich nation, and you're going to have border issues no matter what. But sure. I did want to make this point that, the, that I think what we have here is both parties clearly, for the longest time, have been playing uh, basically immigration is a political football for them. It is, you know, rather than solve the problem, they would both use it to energize their so-called respective bases. Um, they're playing games with it. Um, I think you can blame Trump to some extent for playing a game with it. 
But at the same time, you can say he's probably one of the first presidents to actually, whether he's right or wrong, whether you agree with him or disagree with him, to actually take the issue seriously enough. And maybe, you know, here's the, here's the question is like, is there even enough goodwill between the two parties or the two players here t- between the presidency and the, and, and, uh, the Democratic House um, for anyone to actually come together and do anything? And I don't think there is. I, I, I must say I'm not blaming the Democrats for every problem in the world. Clearly, uh, the right and the GOP and the bases, and they all have their respective issues. But I don't think there is a, a single iota of goodwill to actually solve this problem. Both sides are doing exactly what the first question you implied was, which is playing. They're, they're now playing a game with this. They don't care about the issue. They care about who wins the issue. And, I, and, I and, it, and, it's wor- and it's worse than it was five months ago, because five months ago on this show, when I suggested that if the Republicans – uh, basically gave in on on the dreamers and gave uh, you know the pathway to citizenship, which again no Trump supporter was for, but the president was willing to put that on the table. That in exchange for a five billion dollar wall, then that would have been that was a deal that I think was very close to being able to be put together five months ago. It's five months later, and now people you, you nobody could even utter that. Well, do we want to even discuss the caravan? I mean, (laughs) I want to talk about a difference between now and five months ago. I mean, that caravan was really menacing. I mean, the the, the problems of the border are crazy. It was. Back shortly from Chicago and Palm Springs, 1-800-723-8289. Debt. We can all get in a bit too deep. Members of the NFCC, the National Foundation for Credit Counseling, can help you put debt in its place. Credit cards took charge of my financial life. An NFCC credit counselor helped me get back in control. I took charge of my debt. Student loan debt followed me wherever I went. My NFCC financial advocate taught me all I needed to know. I mastered my student loan debt. We wanted to buy our first home, but weren't sure if we were mortgage ready. Our NFCC housing counselor helped us make a plan. We're on a path to our first home. NFCC member agencies serve all 50 states and Puerto Rico. Convenient, helpful, knowledgeable, nonprofit. Financial advocates there for you. We We put put debt debt in in its place. place. Be one of 5 million people to beat debt by 2020. Connect with an NFCC certified credit counselor at your local member agency today. Go to nfcc.org slash stop debt or call 877-410-6322. We're still on back in Cathedral City. Thank you very much for joining us from coast to coast and border to border and around the world at beyondthebeltway.com. Nice to have you with us wherever you're uh, listening. First broadcast of 2019. And again, uh, as you've already noticed, if you watched any of the Sunday shows, everyone is already off on the 2020 presidential bandwagon. We'll talk a little bit about that in the second hour this evening, but I want to take a moment to introduce our guests or let our guests introduce themselves. And let's begin with our folks back in Chicago. And we begin with Bruno Barron. Give us about 15 seconds of your illustrious career, Bruno. I don't know if I'm capable of talking for less than 15 seconds, Mm. but uh, no, I've been here in Illinois. I've been a political kind of guy uh, for quite a while. I've had my own radio show. I've done political consulting for some gubernatorial candidates and, um, Basically, in the last few months, also I've been an uh, education expert for the Heartland Institute uh, as a senior fellow, and uh, long time uh, enjoy coming on here, guest of your show, Bruce. One follow-up question to you for those listening around the country: uh, We normally do this program from Chicago. 
one of the most powerful political leaders in Chicago, the city council, uh, an alderman who's been in office for 50 years, mm-hmm. uh, was uh, the FBI knocked on his door and they filed an indictment against him. Ed Burke, the chairman of the mighty finance committee, uh, he seems to be in deep trouble. And my question to you, Bruno, because I know you you, you are a longtime opponent of the Cook County Democratic machine. Mm-hmm. How important will that indictment be if he is convicted? I think it'll be a one-off. Um, I was joking the other day that he must have done something to make Michael Madigan mad. Um, Michael Madigan the is, speaker is, of the, Illinois he's House, the, right? the ancient. He's, he's actually like, I think he wears robes. I think he's a Sith Lord. Um, but he's the, uh, he's the Speaker of the House in Illinois and the most po- clearly the most powerful person in the state, has been for a long time. Um, so Burke is, you know, it, it looks like he's in trouble for going down, you're going to go down for something, but it's not going to really impact what happens here in, in Chicago. I think, I think Cook County and Chicago are too far gone in that direction, but I hope I'm wrong. Okay. And his wife is a member of the Illinois Supreme Court. Yes, it's Let's nice. Let's go to Peter. Hannah, introduce yourself, please. Hey, hey, Bruce. Uh, my name is Peter Hanna. I'm an attorney and a professor of law at Chicago uh, Kent School of Law. Um, I work with lawmakers and policymakers on a number of issues and, and also with nonprofits um, on issues touching on technology, privacy, cybersecurity, um, as well as constitutional law and uh, criminal justice reform. Um, my views are progressive, as I'm sure your listeners have noticed uh, this, uh, this uh, session or previous ones. And I'm, uh, as always, really uh, grateful to be on. And joining me in California is Priscilla Richardson. Priscilla, you have an illustrious career. Share that with the audience. Oh, I have a checkered career. Um, Many important things. A lot of the political stuff that I've done is strictly as a volunteer. However, I was on congressional staff for a Seattle congressman in the late 70s, early 80s, uh, when Congress was a lot different than it is now. Uh, but I learned a lot, and I'm very grateful for it. I have a master's in public administration, and I worked for 20 years doing the federal education programs for the superintendent of public instruction in Washington State, and was involved for a short period of time as a campaign consultant um, before I was working for the state. I moved to California, to Palm Springs, when my husband and I retired in 2006 and got away from the Seattle winters, although Seattle will always be home. And, and down here, I... And you're very active in Democrats in the <clears throat> Desert. Yes, I'm the... You want to turn the Coachella Valley blue. Absolutely, and we have turned the Coachella Valley blue. Uh, When I moved here, it was very, very Republican, and now we have a majority Democratic um, voter registration in the Valley, uh, in the 36th Congressional, and probably the high point of my whole political life was that our congressman, Dr. Raul Ruiz, um, appointed me to be uh, to represent the 36th district in the electoral college. And so in 2016, I was the elector for our congressional district and went to Sacramento and oh. put in my vote so for you Hillary. Went to the, you went to the electoral college. Right? Yes. Charles Moran, you also have an illustrious career in California. Share it with the audience. Uh, sure. Um, I'm Charles Moran. I am a political and nonprofit fundraising consultant um, who's predominantly worked here in California. Um, I'm 38, but I've been doing this for about 16 years. Um, do some media and communications work as well. I'm a partner in the Cornerstone Consulting Group International based in Washington, D.C., so I split my time between 
LA and DC. Um, while I do work in politics professionally, I do a lot of volunteering in this or in, on this sphere as well. Um, I was the chairman of the California log cabin Republicans for four years. I've been their national spokesman, um, on the 2016 campaign. Um, I was the LGBTQ surrogate for the Trump campaign nationally and was a delegate from California as well to the convention and did a lot of media and spokesman type stuff for the campaign and, um, still tangentially plugged in with what's going on. Um, not only in Coachella Valley, but greater California. Um, in the last election, I was the finance director for John Cox, who was our Republican um, nominee for governor against Gavin Newsom in California. So we have lots of people who know lots about what's going on. Let's go to some callers who also want to share their thoughts and opinions. David is listening to us online this evening. David, go ahead. You're on the air. Oh, hi, Bruce and your guests. You know what I'm interested in is with the government shutdown, it would seem to me that that's damaging America's uh, credit rating. Uh, our bonds are going to go higher. Uh, you know, the cost of goods are going to go higher. Uh, the fact that maintenance out here, you may remember a year or so ago that we had a dam that's owned by the federal government that almost busted open, Oroville. And uh, if the dam inspectors, if the EPA is off-duty, if the food inspectors are off-duty, that's penny-wise and pound-foolish. So I'm wondering where true conservatives stand on, on uh, ruining America's credit rating. Let's find out from Bruno Barron. Um, I think we're doing plenty of other things to ruin our own credit rating, uh, along with uh, never-ending uh, Social Security and Medicare and Medicaid that no one wants to reform, although they talk about reforming it. So there's plenty of things that are causing America's financial problems, more so than a $5 billion wall, which is essentially, when you talk about $5 billion, pretty much a drop in the bucket. Um, I'd more, be more than happy to see somebody shut down the Ex-Im Bank, uh, shut down uh, various welfare programs that aren't working, and move that money over to a welfare program that does work, like the Earned Income Tax Credit. But uh, I'm not really that worried about the credit rating based on the wall. How about welfare to uh, nuclear power companies? Well, nuclear power is like a really good idea to stop global warming, but it seems to be the one thing that uh, we can't have to stop global warming. So, you know, we can talk about this all day long. Um, I'm, all, I'm fine for cutting government spending. One thing, David, also I think that we don't, what, we have, what, what, what we haven't seen thus far is a complete listing of exactly what's been affected and what the cost of, of uh, that shutdown is. And one of the things that bothers me, let me just finish, David. One of the things that bothers me is when the news media reports that non-essential government workers are, are, are off. If you're a non-essential government worker, why are you a government worker? Well, if you're not essential, why are you th- why are you there? What about That's my question. We're going to move on. David, you made your point. We're going to move on. We're going to Ed. Ed is in Wichita. Are you in Wichita, Kansas, or Wichita, Texas? Wichita, Kansas, Bruce. Okay, go ahead, Ed. Okay, my question is basically um, toward the liberals that are constantly pandering to Hispanic people to come to our southern border who speak Spanish. And I believe in the melting pot of America. And I feel that it, that what to have a true melting pot, we need to go get poor, uneducated folks that will need welfare assistance in other countries that aren't able to come to our border. Essentially, I want a melting pot. And to create that melting pot, we need a quota system. We could We could actually go down and bring some of these 
Rohingya Muslims that have been discriminated against in Myanmar, that are stuck in Bangladesh, that are discriminated against. They, they, they deserve to be Americans, and they deserve to be a part of the melting pot. When, when we're talking about immigration, we're getting too many Hispanic people. We need to bring other people in here that are just as bad a shape, like people from Sudan who are dying of starvation, <clears throat> or people from Yemen that are dying of starvation well, okay. and that are discriminated against. Let me, let me stop you there for a moment, and I want to get to Priscilla to respond. And, and this is a question that comes up periodically, and that is, as a nation, we want to be helpful. We want to, we want to be the inspiration an aspiration for people around the around the globe but how many is too many how many people can we really accept into our country that uh can go through the system can learn their way and can someday become american citizens is it millions is it tens of millions what's the magic number priscilla I do not have an answer to that. <laughs> As I've told you, I, yeah. if I don't have an answer, I will say I no. don't have an answer to that. But isn't, that a, isn't but it, that a legitimate question that people should ask? I mean, because you hear that, you know, we see the pictures of the, the, the poor families and they're coming from Guatemala and, and they want to come to the country. On one side, I am compassionate. I do feel sorry for them. But on the other hand is, how, is it, can I take 10 families? Can I take... 20,000 families? Can they take 200,000 families? And where do they go? I think that there are... I don't think that there's an overall generalized answer that we can give to that. But one of the things that I've been thinking about, which is a little bit wild, but we have a real crisis in the construction industry in the U.S. We don't have enough workers. With all of the damage that we have due from the hurricanes, from the California fires, we need a lot more new people trained and able and willing to work construction. And we have a lot of people sitting on our southern border who are dying for work and would love to be part of that all rebuilding. Right. That's a good point. We're going to roll on 1-800-723-8289. We'll get response from Chicago as well. I'm Bruce Dumont tonight live coast to coast and border to border from Crystal City, California, Cathedral City, California. <laughs> It's a bully, but we aren't afraid of a fight. It's elusive, but our focus never fades. It's deadly, but we were born to defeat cancer. You may not have heard of us, but our work has helped millions impacted by cancer. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. We are leaders in advancing breakthroughs in immunotherapy, genomics, and personalized medicine. This research saves lives. After 65 years of fighting blood cancers, we've arrived at a game-changing belief. The cures for cancer are in our blood. The drugs and treatments we've developed for blood cancers have helped people affected by many different types of cancers. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Beating cancer is in our blood. Learn more at LLS.org. Back in uh, beautiful Cathedral City, California, um, I want to ask a question, get everybody's short response to it, and I'm going to start with you, Priscilla. Um, when a new member of Congress utters um, 
an expletive like MF when referring to the President of the United States. In your opinion, what does that do to the, uh, the ability to have a civil conversation and some degree of respect between one branch of the government and another? Um, given the things that are tweeted by this president, I don't think it does anything at all. I think that she was misspoken. She was out of place. She is new. She didn't realize that there was always going to be a camera and mic on her. And she spoke out of turn and inappropriately. And um, I'm sure that she has learned her lesson and that she won't continue to do that. But we do have a standard now set by a president who is a name caller. For pe- he calls people's names, which is not a standard that has been, <coughs> I don't know, um, good. Charles? Beyond Chris's swipes at Trump, um, I agree <laughs> with everything she said in the middle of her comments. Um, I mean, there's really no more I need to add to it. I mean, it's she's new, and this is the energy that got her where she is. And, you know, Mitt Romney has been a... Per, who's been a politician for his whole life, got his 49% yeah, comment or 47% yeah, yeah, yeah. binders full. Well, I mean, this stuff happens all the time. Um, you know, it, what we do know is that, you know, the media latches on. This is the total Kardashianization of politics. Mm-hmm. It started a long time ago, you know, before Barack Obama. You know, we're not talking about the good stuff that happened yesterday. We're talking about, you know, salacious stuff. And unfortunately, mm-hmm. that's what people want to hear. They don't want to hear about policy. They want to hear about salaciousness. Peter Hen, I want to ask you, uh, when when a new member of Congress uh, uses a term like that against the president, are you worried that that member of Congress, although one one voice, as well as the voice of uh, uh, the new representative Cortez from from New York, because she happens to be a media darling, because she she looks good for the 21st century, are you worried that those two personalities are going to be used by the media? to basically paint a picture of the Democratic Party, which may not agree with them very much, but they're media darlings. Does that bother you because you want Democrats to get elected? Um, it doesn't bother me too much, and I think this is this is one issue that you might get a, a full consensus on the panel because I actually agree with uh, with Charles and Priscilla on this. I, I would just point out that, you know, that any, any sort of like pearl clutching over this is really, uh, <laughs> you know, not, not worth even the... the, the the discussion, because really uh, we have a president who's um, taken us to these places and takes us to these places regularly. So I don't think I don't think it's going to really affect their electability or other Democrats' electability as well. Bruno, what do you think? Um, four out of four, I guess. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is where we yeah. are today, and and you know, Trump might be the the most uh, visible uh, what rule breaker here uh, the uh, in in the way that people have become, but. This has been going on for a long time. It was went through the Clinton era. It's been through the Bork era. And politics has been going downhill in terms of communication and comity uh, for ages. And it looks like it's just going to get worse and accelerate. Speaking of that, let's. I want to start with you because you have been critical of the president in the past. What is your take on on Mitt Romney's blast? in the Washington Post against the president challenging the, that he's not risen to the mantle of, uh, of the presidency and that there's issues of integrity and uh, what he did and why he did it and the timing of it. What, what thoughts do you have about that? Well, clearly, clearly you're seeing some people in the GOP jockeying. Obviously, there's not as big a field as developing on the Democratic side, but there was nothing wrong with that op-ed, even if you disagree with Mitt Romney. 
Um, first of all, everybody misses the fact that he was actually quite complimentary of some of the stuff that Trump has gotten done. And maybe, just maybe, someone like Romney might have a mea culpa that if he had just a thimbleful of some of the testosterone that Trump brought to the table, he might actually have come closer to winning or beaten Barack Obama in 2012. So maybe someone on the right has understood that there's a reason Trump is where he is and they are not. But at the same time, it's completely fair to look at this president and say, this is the most powerful country in the world that, you know, the, we're the, we throw a lot of weight around and we have a lot of responsibility and this is the con- character and condition of the most powerful person in the world. It's a completely fair criticism, even if you don't like Mil- Mitt Romney. Charles, what do you think of Mitt Romney's comments? I mean, first day in the door and he's already, you know, trying to... Repair his ego. I mean, I, I, I take his hat off for all that he did all the way through him being governor of, of uh, Massachusetts, but really everything since then. Um, I, I, I don't I, – I've got real issues with Mitt and his character, um, not necessarily just because of this op-ed. I mean, again, he's just this, – this self-aggrandizement that he just could walk into that seat in Utah and that it was his because of something that he had done to earn it, which I don't think he did anything. But even the way he conducted himself on the campaign, I mean, talk about poll testing every little thing, being so self-conscious about the way that he perceived himself. Um, one of the instances, and it was brought up by a really great op-ed that um, Tammy Bruce just did, um, talking about how uh, basically Mitt Romney let Rick Grinnell, who's our now ambassador to Germany, who's from Coachella Valley, let him hang out because he was a gay man and appointed in the conservatives, the Christian conservatives on the right wing could not handle that, being having the openly gay spokesman on the Romney campaign. And Mitt Romney just let him hang out and didn't come to his defense. That's a real character deficiency. So for, for Mitt to get up there and run his mouth on that about character, when he has shown very little, when the test is really made up to him, it's a joke. To me, he, he, he is campaigning and he won the mantle of Mr. Sunday Morning. You're going to see him on more talk shows than any other Republican. Forget Lindsey Graham. He may be, uh, have so- something other to do on Sunday mornings. He wants to be the new Jeff Flake, and I think he's got the mantle. When we come back, we'll have another full hour of conversation with our guests in Chicago and here in Cathedral City. I'm Bruce Dumont from coast to coast and border to border. This is Beyond the Beltway. Helping out when things go wrong. Seeking the truth and speaking our minds. Not just making records, but breaking them. Leading the way behind the camera, beyond the runway, and on the silver screen. Not just making our mark, but making a difference. Now that's a job for a Girl Scout. Girl Scouts, preparing girls for a lifetime of leadership. It's a bully. But we aren't afraid of a fight. It's elusive, but our focus never fades. It's deadly, but we were born to defeat cancer. 
You may not have heard of us, but our work has helped millions impacted by cancer. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. We are leaders in advancing breakthroughs in immunotherapy, genomics, and personalized medicine. This research saves lives. After 65 years of fighting blood cancers, we've arrived at a game-changing belief. The cures for cancer are in our blood. The drugs and treatments we've developed for blood cancers have helped people affected by many different types of cancers. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Beating cancer is in our blood. Learn more at LLS.org. Debt. We can all get in a bit too deep. Members of the NFCC, the National Foundation for Credit Counseling, can help you put debt in its place. Credit cards took charge of my financial life. An NFCC credit counselor helped me get back in control. I took charge of my debt. Student loan debt followed me wherever I went. My NFCC financial advocate taught me all I needed to know. I mastered my student loan debt. We wanted to buy our first home, but weren't sure if we were mortgage ready. Our NFCC housing counselor helped us make a plan. We're on a path to our first home. NFCC member agencies serve all 50 states and Puerto Rico. Convenient, helpful, knowledgeable, nonprofit. Financial advocates there for you. We We put put debt debt in in its place. Be one of 5 million people to beat debt by 2020. Connect with an NFCC certified credit counselor at your local member agency today. Go to nfcc.org slash stop debt or call 877-410-6322. Live from Chicago, it's Saturday Night Live, the experience. Tuesday through Sundays and open late on Wednesday nights at the Museum of Broadcast Communications. Order tickets at museum.tv. Bruce Dumont back in Cathedral City. Thank you very much for joining us tonight. 1-800-723-8289. We have callers on the line, and uh, I'm going to go uh, to them in just a moment. But I want to ask our guests. We have guests uh, in Chicago. We have uh, Peter Hanna, a Democrat, and Bruno Barron, a Republican. And out here with me in Palm Springs, uh, we have Charles Moran, who's a Republican, and Priscilla Richardson, who's a Democrat. She's with Democrats in the Desert. And, uh, Priscilla, I want, to, I want to ask you, obviously, there's a, there's a new Congress there's a move by some in Congress to move for impeachment against the president. Do you think impeachment is the way to go? Should that be the, the, the lead thing that the new Democrats do with their power? No, I don't think so. And I don't think that the Democrats who are the leaders in the House are thinking in that direction either. Everything that I have heard from the Democratic leaders is that we need to wait and see what the evidence is. We need to wait for the Mueller report and then act appropriately based on what the facts are. And that the the priorities are, number one, getting the government shutdown ended as soon as possible, and number two, doing the, um, the things in H.R. 1 that they are doing, um, including voter registration protections and, you know, voter... Um, authenticity, making the polls available to everyone who should be able to vote, and um, then making some reforms, ethics reforms, we'll and but basically p- pushing pushing impeachment down down the list. Peter, do you agree with that? 
Um, I think this president has committed uh, impeachable offenses. I think um, there's a opinion of an op-ed in the New York Times today by uh, David Leonhardt that it's all the people uh, versus uh, Donald Trump that makes some really good points and highlights, I think, four bases for why this president is unfit for office, including violations of the emoluments clause, his general subversion of democracy, et cetera. I think um, I do agree with Priscilla, but from a strategic perspective, I don't think it be- you know behooves Democrats to – you know, bang the impeachment drum that hard um, anytime soon, certainly not a second before the uh, Mueller report comes out. I think the Democrats' best play is, you know, following up on what Priscilla said, everything um, regarding ethics reform and stuff, but also the Democrats need to be the party of really big ideas. They need to be pushing them, even though they probably have no, no chance of getting out of, you know, the House or Congress or obviously ever being signed by the president. But the, the Democrats have to play this really, really intelligently and banging on the impeachment drum isn't necessarily the way to ensure that uh, 2020 and 2022 are successful. Do you agree with that, uh, Bruno? Uh, it sounds reasonable to me. I mean, I'm on the opposite side of the aisle. Uh, I don't. I've I've looked at a lot of the articles over the last two years about how, as I said earlier, Trump is one minute away from being out of office because he did all these things, and I'm not sure the emoluments clause case has much uh, holds much water. But we'll we'll find all that out. Um, at this moment in time, my biggest worry is you look at what happened in uh, Texas and Georgia, and you look at what happened in California, Orange County in particular, and my question for my you know, Trump-loving uh, GOP friends is where are you going to get those voters back? Um, can you get them back from the black community if you bring back enough uh, manufacturing jobs? Maybe you can. Can you get them from the legal uh, Hispanics here who are actually might be might be open to some kind of uh, argument as to why uh, illegal immigration is bad for them as well? I mean, there's there might be some places for voters for Trump to get the voters he's lost in the suburbs back. And maybe there's a way maybe there's a case to be made to the voters in the suburbs that will make them come back in 2020. But um, I'm actually uh, one of those five minutes to midnight guys. I, I think my Republican colleague, uh, Charles, might disagree with me. I, I think Trump can be reelected, and I think uh, Trump could lose big. And uh, it all depends on how the cookie crumbles. But I'm looking out in the future, and my biggest worry is the GOP is now in the position of the GOP in California after Prop 187 and uh, Pete Wilson's victory. Okay. It looked like a victory at the time. Is it going to be one in the future? Charles, what to look into your crystal ball? Um, I'm going to take up a lot of time because we're going to go over a lot of this stuff. Okay. And because I do work in this, some of it I do have some technical expertise that right. I'll talk okay. about it. Some of it is just going to be Charles freewheeling. Um, agree with Peter that Democrats do need to come up with some big ideas. And I think the, the, the problem with continuing to beat that, um, that, that impeachment drum, um, you know, it can't just be anti-Trump or this Trump. There's got to be some big ideas. And they've got to come up with a way that they're going to end up doing this. And I say that that goes with Donald Trump, too. I mean, let me Go ahead. But the, I, don't, I, do, I do not believe that holds true for the anti-Trump Democrat, Democratic base because, you know what, that's all they do care no, about. I know, and, and, that's, I, and, and, that's and, and they're be, the ones that elect people to Congress. And they're the ones who just came into Congress, and that's the biggest challenge that Nancy Pelosi is going to have is figure, and she figured out a I way to do it because she got, she got reelected so without far, a challenge so, so far. far. It's day two. Um, but on the same time, you know, going back to Bruno's comments about um, – you know how as goes california goes the nation as goes the uh, national gop will go california gop what happened here in california with our loss of seven congressional seats um was a mixture of a few things i will absolutely say that we didn't necessarily have a message that we were taking 
and effectively delivering to, to people who were concerned about um, Donald Trump and were, were looking to have a, a Democratic House majority to push back or to be a check on Donald Trump. So we did lose voters that we shouldn't have lost. But at the same time, if you look at those seven congressional seats and you actually look at the election beforehand where we lost a number as well, this steady decline for Republican congressional seats has been going on for some time. This is not a, quote, repudiation of Donald Trump, as everybody's making it out to be. We lost like five seats in the election beforehand, and we lost seven this time. So this is a trend line. So what this comes back to is us talking about, okay, what are we doing from a messaging point of view, but also from a strategic point of view? I'll hit quickly the strategic point of view. We do this thing in California called ballot harvesting now, which is something where people can collect ballots and, and deliver them in bulk. Our technology now in California lets us see who's returned absentee ballots. Chris has done these drills before because we, we all know how, you know, GOTV, we don't start vote election day actually is a month earlier in California because that's when we drop absentee mail-in ballots. California is increasingly going to mail-in ballots. We, we didn't do it right. And the Democrats, Day one after Donald Trump got elected in 2016, opened up offices. That, you know, oh my gosh, Democrats took back Orange County. Democrats were saying the day after Donald Trump got elected, we're taking back Orange County. This is no surprise. And they put in the technology and the mechanisms and the manpower and even more importantly, the money to ensure that they were able to turn those votes. Every district is winnable by any candidates. It's just, it's a mathematical computation. It's not message and themes and rally signs and hope and dreams. No, it is mathematical. You turn voters block by block, precinct by precinct, city by city, and you're able to flip these districts on any level, regardless of the party. So we got... Just out. like the Go Democrats ahead. in the uh, desert have been doing it yes. during this county. Yes. The, and same, it's, it's, the mechanics are the same. Right. There's yep. mechanics are the same. Voter registration is important. So we have these structural failures. I mean, the Congressional Leadership Fund, which was the primary super PAC in California, or primary national super PAC, Paul Ryan's super PAC, aligned super PAC, <clears throat> raised $12 million out of California to spend you know, to, to, on national GOP houses. Only $2 million of that came back in California, and we had seven targeted seats. So again, this California is not, is, is sometimes, yes, we have to learn and look at the historical trends and the trending nature of our message as nationally as it relates here in California. But it's not all Trump. That's not the reason why Republicans did so bad. We've got to pause. When we come back, I want to get everyone engaged and talk a little bit more about the specifics of whatever happened to the suburban Republican women that got so much publicity after the midterms. And also uh, the question that was raised about whether or not Hispanics, the recent polls have suggested there's a lot of Hispanics that still really like Donald Trump. We're going to talk about that and also the ability to uh, uh, switch some other... uh, Standing up for what's right, helping out when things go wrong, seeking the truth, and speaking our minds. Not just making records, but breaking them. Leading the way behind the camera, beyond the runway, and on the silver screen. Not just making our mark, but making a difference. Now that's a job for a Girl Scout. Girl Scouts, preparing girls for a lifetime of leadership. Live from Chicago, it's Saturday Night Live, The Experience. Tuesday through Sundays and open late on Wednesday nights at the Museum of Broadcast Communications.
Order tickets at museum.tv. Beyond the Beltway, we are back for 2019. This is our first broadcast. Wherever you are listening to this broadcast, whether it's on America's great talk radio stations from coast to coast or Sirius XM satellite radio, POTUS Channel 124, nice to have you with us, or you're listening to us on the Internet at beyondthebeltway.com. However you get this program, we thank you very much uh, uh, for joining us, and we've got some callers on the line. Let's go to Janice listening to us in southern Illinois. Go ahead, Janice. Are you there? Well, I guess Janice isn't there. How about how about Roger in uh, Lost in Texas on line one? Are you there? Well, well, I was told we had four people. So can we put any caller on the line, mm-hmm. and I will say hello to them? Are you there? Yes, Bruce. How are you? And you are Tom from uh, Ohio. I'm listening to WPIC. Okay, WPIC in Sharon, Pennsylvania. Right. Go ahead. Youngstown. You know, first of all, I want to go back to this whole idea of uh, scoffing at uh, Mexico paying for the wall. And I also want to throw in a couple of other things. Um, right now, we're paying over $100 billion a year in food, clothing, shelter, education, health care for illegals. Now, when you consider the fact that much of that is is it Mexico and Central and South America exporting their economic and social problems to the United States? That will more than pay for the wall in one year. Secondly, as far as uh, the whole situation of it being uh, handled by technology, the drones, the cameras can readily be ignored or with a new administration coming in, easily be shut down. Or a federal judge some way finding a way to shut it down. A wall, you can't do that. Second, the third thing I want to point out is a physical barrier would actually be more humane. Not only would we uh, eliminate the situation of 90% of the heroin coming in across the southern border, affecting our uh, people and kids dying and older people dying, uh, in addition to that, you wouldn't have the human trafficking problem. And You'd also be humane from the standpoint you wouldn't have parents from Guatemala and Honduras dragging six- and seven-year-olds uh, hundreds of miles only to die when they get here and only be facing uh, tear gas and razor wire because you have a mob-type situation coming in and there's no real other way to control it if you don't have a barrier there. Tom, let me, let me interrupt because uh, you've made this, you made this point tonight. You've made this point on previous calls to the show. So let me ask you a political question. Do you believe that the Republicans, the president included, and the Democrats, do they really want to resolve this issue or not? Or do they, do, does each party need this issue to perpetuate their own power? I think that, I think that Trump is sincere about wanting to get this done. I think the Democrats and the Republicans don't want it because, again, it goes back to the idea of cheap labor for the uh, people that the Republicans serve uh, as a group. And it also means more votes for the Democrats. I hear Nancy Pelosi saying she even wants to have the District of Columbia become a state, and obviously that's to pick up two senators uh, and and therefore have— uh, Democrats have said that for 40 years, so that's well, not Well, and new. if they get a chance, they'll get it. But the point being— uh, But they won't. But the point being, though, uh, is that if, if you have more people coming into this country who are uh, poor and low-class— 
chances are when they get the benefits here and so forth, they're going to start voting Democrat. And, and that's what they've been doing. That's why, well, let me, that's why they've been seeing the <clears throat> shift of uh, purple but here's, states but, and blue, uh, red states going blue. But here's one thing that I want to put on the table, and I heard this uh, earlier this week. I was listening to POTUS, and, 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 a, and a guest was talking about the difference in the demographics, and he also made the point that there are recent polls that suggest that Hispanics, Hispanics that are, that are legal here, and they've been here for a long time, uh, many of them are most vociferous in being against illegal immigration. They Keeping figure I did, it, I did it the right way. I don't want you know, I don't I don't want anybody doing it the wrong way. And the person also made a point. He made he was drawing the comparison between California and also Texas. And here's a, this I'll, I'll, this is a broad brush to what he said. He basically said that the Hispanics, the Mexicans, he was specifically talking about Mexicans. Those that go to Texas go into a culture where they are likely to be business-oriented. They are more conservative. They're more business-oriented. He didn't. He said they work hard, that everybody works hard. He said that those Mexicans who gravitate to California are less likely to get a job. They may be more focused on welfare as a way to get a leg up and maybe stay on it too long, and that there's a real difference between the type of people that are coming to California and the type of people that are going to Texas. So, Charles, let me get you in on that. I I just want, and this is one thing that I always did wonder Mm -hmm. about, specifically with with the caravan, is if you do look at the route that they took to get from Central America, and I'm not necessarily agreeing with everything that Tom said, but this is a question regarding that, it's, the fastest way to get to America is to go through like Browning, Texas. It's like Texas dips down so far that it is actually a lot faster. You cut a lot of time off if you go through Texas versus if you come to California. Why did the caravan go to California instead of going to Texas? That's a legitimate question. I, it, it, you would have cut off a lot more time. So if your goal is just to get to America to apply for asylum, a, why didn't you apply in your own home country? But B, if you did leave and need to escape, why would you have taken the longest, literally the longest route possible other than going through Canada to get to America? Legally, you can't apply for asylum until you're actually in the U.S. Just no, you can do it when you go to the embassy. You, you could actually, what you could do is you could seek uh, designation as a humanitarian parolee or a refugee and then basically get your way into America, but you can't mm-hmm. actually submit an asylum application until you're in the U.S. The the it, well, and that's what happened inside of the border, and that's why they're still stuck in Mexico. So it really, you know, the the human condition does not change if you are doing it in Mexico and waiting versus if you're in your home country and doing it. But my so, again, back to my question is, I, there is a, you know, why did they go come to California instead of going to the much shorter route of going to Texas? And what about the issue about that that, that Hispanics? aren't as anti-Trump as maybe the Democrats would like everyone and the media well, would like everybody to believe. Bruce, the, the, one of the, uh, this is one of the things that I, I've always wondered about with folks on my side of the aisle who basically say that, well, the, the Democrats are being, uh, you know, they just want to import more Democratic voters, which I, I think there's some truth to that. But at the same time, what, what I've never understood is so many people on my side of the aisle who, it's like, hey, the last time I heard about politics, the whole goal was to persuade people to vote your way for good or bad reasons, but to actually give the case of why people might want to vote for you. Right. And I think that there's way too many people in the Republican Party who are, they're like, 
we're, they're, they're so afraid of Mexicans instead of rather just having a conversation with them and talking to them. And, and, I'm, and that's not to kowtow or to cave or to, or to go for amnesty or anything like that, but to have a conversation with people to the, to the degree where they can say, oh, I get where you're coming from, as opposed to actually being so fearful of having that conversation. But I will also say this, because you had mentioned earlier, I have been a skeptic regarding the wall, and I'm still a bit of a skeptic regarding the wall, but I have read enough articles and I have read enough studies on, on, on this specific issue to know that the pro-wall people have a point. They have at least have enough of a point to have a conversation about it, along with I've always said the wall should be at E-Verify where you don't get a job if you're not legal uh, right. and stuff like that. So there's, there's all kinds of conversation to have about and this. And Paul Ryan, Paul Ryan is the one that kept that from being the law of the land. The E-Verify? Paul, Paul Paul Ryan and the U.S. Chamber of Commerce is the reason why E-Verify isn't required by everybody who hires anybody. Well, there you have it. I mean, I, I don't, again, I don't know every detail. I still think both parties are playing political football. My warning to well, Republicans is that Republicans if, they think this is, if they think playing political football with this works better to, for some uh, you know, mechanical reason to get out the base and to fire people up, they are, they are playing not to lose in a game that they're going to lose eventually. This is, this is Charles. This is not new. I mean, if we want to really just take this down to the base level, Republicans generally want, you know, both sides realize we need to deal with border security and we need to deal with the people here. Um, Republicans want to deal with the border security first. Democrats want to deal with the people here first. I mean, this is the wall, the, oh my gosh, is this going to solve all the problems? No, this is a manifestation of the same polarized move forwards that both parties have been using for a really long time. Democrats want to take care of the people first and then want to deal with the security yeah. issue second. Republicans want to deal with border security first and take care of the people right. second. So this is really what comes first, because sooner or later we're going to deal with border security. 2006, Democrats were voting for border security as right. part of larger packages. Mm -hmm. DACA was on the table when when Schumer shut down the government last year, and we had to deal with that first. <clears throat> so this is, this is just a manifestation well, of a historical DACA, battle. I mean, when you look at it, I want to just get everybody isn't to, to me and again i know my conservative friends will pull their hair out to me daca is it's a it's a separate issue it makes complete sense i have no i have no opposition at all uh to to someone who's been a who's part of the daca population having a pathway to citizenship they've been here their parents brought them here for the most again if they're if they've done anything illegal different different things but if these are hardworking people who came to this country and they've, they've acted as, as good citizens, even though they're not yet citizens, give them a pathway to citizenship. That takes care of one slice of the problem. It takes care of the people that are here. Then beyond that, there's all the people that are here that are not DACA, but they, they're here illegally. That's, a, that's, a, that's the toughest one, I think, to deal with. And then, then to me, that makes sense that the first thing you do is you shut the door behind you. And that's where the issue of a wall or a fence or, or something else would, would make sense. And I want to you know, get your reaction, Priscilla. We've not heard from you for a while. I want to get you weighing in on that, as well as our folks, uh, uh, Peter Hanna and uh, Bruno Barron back in Chicago. 1-800-723-8029 from coast to coast and border to border. Uh, our guests, we've got them here in uh, beautiful Cathedral City, California, at the studios of KGX Real Talk Radio, and also back at our home base at the Museum of Broadcast Communications in Chicago. We'll hear more from them and your phone calls, one 800 723 8029 when we roll on. I'm Bruce Dumont.
debt. We can all get in a bit too deep. Members of the NFCC, the National Foundation for Credit Counseling, can help you put debt in its place. Credit cards took charge of my financial life. An NFCC credit counselor helped me get back in control. I took charge of my debt. Student loan debt followed me wherever I went. My NFCC financial advocate taught me all I needed to know. I mastered my student loan debt. We wanted to buy our first home, but weren't sure if we were mortgage ready. Our NFCC housing counselor helped us make a plan. We're on a path to our first home. NFCC member agencies serve all 50 states and Puerto Rico. Convenient, helpful, knowledgeable, nonprofit. Financial advocates there for you. We, we put, put debt, debt in, in its place. place. Be one of 5 million people to beat debt by 2020. Connect with an NFCC certified credit counselor at your local member agency today. Go to nfcc.org slash stop debt or call 877-410-6322. Bruce Dumont back on the air. This is Beyond the Beltway. Thank you very much uh, for joining us. Let's go to line three. David is listening to us in uh, Athens, Illinois on uh, WMAY. Go ahead. You're on the air. Hey, good evening. Good evening. Hey, listen, I, I just wanted to make a comment on the wall and, and why the Democrats can't possibly support any building of a wall. Because, you know, when Joe Biden does become president, he, you can't turn a wall off. That's why they support the, you know, the technology angle. You can't turn a wall off. Yeah. That, that, right. that, that, that's, that's the obvious objection to it. It, so I mean, you know, so you, you know what they're going to do. You know what they're going to do when they when they come back to power. I mean, the Mexicans are just going to flow right back over through the all the technology. They're just coming right back over. Well, again, that, that is that is opinion of of a lot of a lot of Republicans feel that way. But the uh-huh. question that I was asking before the break, and that is, there there are many uh, Mexicans who live in this country now. And and they, according to a recent poll, they still support Donald Trump. So all, all all the all this impression that the Democrats and the media have perpetuated that that Mexicans hate Donald Trump that that doesn't seem to be true based on recent polls. Now more more Mexicans voted Democratic than for Donald Trump. That's that's true. And that will right. probably be true in 2020. But again, it, it isn't. It isn't. It is not a monolithic vote. Um, I don't think that Democrats are opposed to border security. I, I think you know, even if we did build the wall, I don't. You know, versus the technology side, I mean, we're not, it's not. If Democrats took over the next time, they're just going to turn the switch off, and all of a sudden, I think Democrats do believe in strong border security. Um, so I don't. I don't necessarily. I don't. I don't buy into that. But but what it is, it's. I know. But the problem is. But they also believe in fattening up their base. Do you believe that, Peter? That it's all about fattening up the base. Uh, no, I, I think Charles was uh, speaking really eloquently as to what I mean, Democrats do believe in border security. There's nothing, you know, there's no desire to turn off, turn it off, to fatten up the base. And in fact, the funny thing is, especially among the, the folks who are voters, legal immigrants, if I could just finish my thought, um, legal immigrants. I mean, I, as you know, Bruce, I am the son of legal immigrants. My, I was born in, in Egypt and my right. parents and I don't share similar political views. And I found that many folks who have come to America through the you know, legal immigration process are a little bit, I don't want to use the word hostile, but they're more aligned with kind of strong, robust border security and oftentimes will vote for you know, the candidates who oftentimes are more, you know, uh, tend to be Republican uh, to support those sorts of policies. So, you know, I think because they support the law. It's simple. 
you either support the law or you don't support the law. Well, you could. It's you, about the law. You could. It's you could vote the, Democrat. The law, the law. But you could vote Democrat if you don't. You know, obviously. I mean, you could still support the law and vote Democrat. I just think that people, especially you'd mentioned that Hispanic voters, there's still a lot. It's not a monolithic vote. Many still support no. Donald Trump. A lot of them are motivated by the fact that look, we came in here through the established channels. We waited our turn. We, you know, we got into the country. We built, you know, a life for our kids, our families, and we don't want there to be a stream of people who, you know, get in here illegally and get all the benefits that we have. So, I mean, Democrats and everyone need to be mindful of the fact that there is no, you know, monolithic vote. Um, Trump had a really good opportunity, I think, to actually firm up more of the Hispanic vote if he had taken the DACA deal when it was on the table, um, yeah. but instead he chose to appeal to his base instead. It just seems to me that when you do build the wall, Joe Biden is going to have to explain why he's not using the damn thing. Well, first of all, we don't know whether Joe. First of all, we don't know whether Joe Biden is going to be the president. Uh, and and again, you're 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 guesstimating as to what might happen. But again, question to you, Bruno. Thank you very much for a call, David. We appreciate it. We'll take another call in a moment. But but Bruno, back to you. Uh, the the Hispanics that are out there, mm-hmm. the new Americans that are out there are, who are not necessarily Caucasian, what is the message that Donald Trump can deliver to them that would make them more likely to become Republicans? And I want to get your your thought on that. Well, because it, they can, they can't be no against. Them. Look at a constituency group. What's the constituency group that's going to be either Republican or for Donald Trump? Well, look at the so first thing you can do is do the minimal amount of damage by not being negative, which I think Trump might be might be capable of that. The other thing is look at the jobs numbers. Look at the jobs that are coming back in uh, in in manufacturing. We were told for the last eight years that manufacturing jobs are never coming back because no one really wants to have anything that's going to fall on their toe, and uh, we all want to be uh, we all want to go and become trained social justice warriors from America's university system. Um, you know, so but all of a sudden we've got all these jobs coming back, and we've got all of this uh, uh, manufacturing uh, capability. It's not it's not all rosy. It's not all perfect. But that's one thing you can do to go to not just the Hispanic community, but to the black community and there is some evidence that that might work so when i say how do we get back or how do we replace those suburban voters that have been lost in orange county and in uh, in peter roskam's district here in illinois um when i ask that question i'm not saying it's impossible i'm just saying where are we going to get them i just want to put a finer point on on bruno's comments lowest hispanic unemployment lowest african-american unemployment criminal justice reform Opioid addiction and inner city drug prevention. These are core issues to urban communities that have been disaffected by Republicans. And Donald Trump is the first Republican in a really long time. And he crossed Lindsey Graham on some of this, Warren Hatch. He's crossed um, some law enforcement communities on this. He has bucked the trend. Yes. Uh, or, uh, he, is, he takes <clears throat> political risks and he, is, he has done it. And, and these are these you asked what can we offer to constituencies that have not been voting republicans or are leaving us this is it saying your brother's employed your uncle is been freed out of jail because of you know because we've reformed the system right. you know these are the things that we can take to communities say we're going to make your life better and this is what we've done but, but by the way in the area of criminal justice reform we talked about a lot about it on this program uh, certainly in the last couple of months, we talked a lot about it It was as it was heading towards the president's desk. And I do believe that because of the, the political nature that we have in the country, 
because of the political media and the way they focus on stories and because they really want the two sides at each other's throats. Mm -hmm. They really do. They have completely overlooked, and I would say they have not given the proper due to the bipartisan effort, including President Trump, for this remarkable, dramatic criminal justice reform that hits every constituency, and it is an opportunity, as you have said, it's an opportunity for Republicans to go and say, look, we're not all boogeymen. We're not all hateful mm-hmm. people. It, it, it gives the Democrats go, to go back to a constituency that has predominantly been loyal to them, the African Americans. That's not the entire criminal population, but it's a large part of, of those who are recipients mm-hmm. who have been incarcerated. So the, this is really something, this is something good that Congress did, the president did, and it has not re- it has not received enough, you know, spotlight and introduction and explanation to the public that this is something that government did that's really good, because everything is negative. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Bruce, I, drives, everything is drives just, the ratings. Just some drives in, the ratings. Some in, in, in keeping the theme of the, of the show. Some inside the Beltway um, talk. <clears throat> you know that bill, as I mentioned, I think the last time we discussed it, that was an Obama bill, the First Step Act. It began. As a Dick Durbin and Obama effort, Orrin Hatch never called. I'm sorry, not Orrin Hatch. Uh, Mitch McConnell let it die. I think part of the reason that you're not hearing more about it is because I think Trump, being very sensitive to anything Obama touched, doesn't want to parade it. Doesn't want to claim it as a victory. No, um, I no think that's be not sm- true. I, I mean, I, I mean, I think the, the media is to thing? blame. I think Trump is to blame. But like. Really, why isn't Trump out there? Why isn't he talking about this every he day? Is. Why isn't he, he ta- absolutely? No, he absolutely is. I mean, Charles, he got let's up go the through signing ceremonies. No, let's he, go through. His yes, tweets. go through the tweets. Okay, he spent there's an one. immense amount of time. There no, there's one. not one. No, there's okay. not one. Right. There's absolutely not one. Are you saying he's embarrassed by it, Peter? I don't. No, I don't think that's, he's embarrassed. That's, that's, I don't think he's embarrassed. No. I, I'm telling you that this is ultimately this thing originated. This bill originated in the office of Dick Durbin, um, who worked on it with President Obama. Um, and ultimately, when obviously the, the uh, Republicans took the Senate, it was never called, despite having the support of Orrin Hatch, uh, Grassley. Peter, and who made it get it done? Peter, Trump Peter, got it done. Peter, not not everything that uh, Barack Obama touched turned out to be successful. Oh, you I'm, have named I'm aware. one thing, and by the way, you've named one thing, and I realize you're a Democrat and you want to get Barack Obama to get as much credit as possible. Barack Obama, and when the Democrats had the power. They did not pass this bill. In other words, African American just some African Americans have been sitting in American prisons for decades since the nineties when Bill Clinton was the leader of the three strikes you're out, in addition to California Republicans, it was Republicans and Democrats all over the country that threw African Americans in prison and other people in prison and threw away the key. And it's twenty five years later, it was Donald Trump, thanks to Jared Kushner whose father has experienced in federal prison, whatever the reason was, he had his son-in-law blowing in his ear, talking with Dick Durbin, who does who deserves to get credit. He was there at the beginning. But you know what? At the finish line, Donald mm-hmm. Trump was there with a pen at the finish line. Yeah. And, 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 and people have got to understand that. Now, why Donald Trump isn't talking about it, you're saying that he's afraid to talk about it. I don't think that he's afraid to talk about it at all. But again, when, when that story broke, there was some other major story that broke. I, I hardly saw anything on national TV yeah. or cable television about one of the most important pieces of legislation that's passed in the last 30 years, period. Bruce, it was like nothing. I, I'm no, not trying to It was to more correct. about some... 
Go ahead. I, yeah, I'm not trying to credit Barack Obama at all. Um, I was yeah. just trying to kind of speculate as to why we're not hearing more about it. As for Bill Clinton, you know, I think Bill Clinton was mm-hmm. the worst thing to happen to the African-American community and criminal justice uh, in a very long time. Um, so, I, you know, this isn't about and credit. he was hailed as the first black president. Yeah, that was, that was a mistake. <laughs> no, that was well, a big mistake. The, the point is, there's a lot of people out there that just don't know their history and they take time to do it. And I think in this particular case, uh, you will be hearing a lot more about that between now and election time in 2020. We should. You just haven't heard much about it right now. 1-800-723-8289. we got lots of things to talk about, lots of callers on the line. We will hear from them all on our first broadcast of 2019. It's a bully, but we aren't afraid of a fight. It's elusive, but our focus never fades. It's deadly, but we were born to defeat cancer. You may not have heard of us, but our work has helped millions impacted by cancer. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. We are leaders in advancing breakthroughs in immunotherapy, genomics, and personalized medicine. This research saves lives. After 65 years of fighting blood cancers, we've arrived at a game-changing belief. The cures for cancer are in our blood. The drugs and treatments we've developed for blood cancers have helped people affected by many different types of cancers. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Beating cancer is in our blood. Learn more at LLS.org. That's what I heard yesterday. Hello, we are back and we're on the air. And uh, why don't you just share what you just uh, shared, uh, if you'd care to? Sure. Um, (laughs) Not that I should be commenting too much on the presidential primaries for the Democratic Party. Uh, L.A. City Mayor Eric Garcetti, um, you know, has got his his super pat or his his IEs going and he's spreading money around nationally. But uh, I think what's going to happen is Senator Feinstein at some point here soon will retire. and I thank her for running because I think she's a much better senator than Kevin DeLeon would have been. But um, I think that she'll end up retiring in some time in a couple of months and that Eric Garcetti will be appointed by our new governor, um, Gavin Newsom, um, to fill that spot, which would take him out of the mixture for the 2020. But he, he has he has suggested that he wants to run for president. He is. Yes, he is. He has started making the moves that would that would put him in that position. Uh, Priscilla, tell us a little bit, tell the nation uh, that are listening to the program this evening, tell us a little bit about Kamala Harris, because her name is consistently pops up uh, as someone that, that wants to run for president and is pl- preparing for it. But a lot of America doesn't know much about the, uh, uh, the junior senator from California. Um, she is the junior senator from California. Before she was elected to the Senate, she was California's attorney general under um, Governor Brown. And she was a very aggressive and focused attorney general. She definitely took on some of the most liberal issues and um, was vocal and effective and successful at um, adjudicating and putting in motion a number of, of very progressive laws. She, as she came to the Senate... She took her voice there immediately. For anyone who watched uh, the Kavanaugh hearings, mm-hmm. you will have seen Kamala Harris be a very straightforward person 
who asked hard questions and would not take no for an answer. Uh, She also is young in terms of presidential candidates go, and she's a a minority, uh, female, and uh, she's got a lot going for her. So, is she when, when she made the comment about abolishing ICE? When the first time you heard that, did you say, "Oh my God, why did she say that?" Or, "Boy, I'm glad she said it. She's really planting her flag on an issue that's going to get a lot of traction." No, um, my reaction was, Senator Harris, that was a really bad thing to say. <laughs> I, I don't think that that was a well thought out um, statement, because realistically, uh, we have to have ice, um, uh, and it's not necessarily the the I, it's not ice necessarily, but there has to be some kind of a a, a, a force that will make sure that illegals are sent back or properly um, adjudicated. So I, I, I don't know. I, I just thought that it was a comment that she okay. had not thought through. Okay. Uh, one quick question, and then I want to, I want to get, take, go to another call. Um, from a political perspective, looking at the other side of the aisle, how would you rate Camilla Harris as a political commodity? How would she be if she was out there on the stump um, for president? I think that she, you know, she has the ability to rise quite high, but much like balloons, I think she's full of a lot of hot air and there's not as much substance there politically on a national basis. <clears throat> I ran the, the comms department against her when she first ran for attorney general or for Steve Cooley. I was his communications director and press secretary for the district attorney of L.A. County against the district attorney of San Francisco County, which was Kamala. And, um, you know, Senator Harris is she is she she bit off a lot in the Kavanaugh hearing. She was brand new, and she, um, I think, still though she, you know, unlike people like Senator Warren and um, some of the other more established Democratic senators, it's there's got to be a durability there. I mean, you've really got to, you know, she in the last election she did spend a lot of time and money traveling throughout the country, but I mean, run, the, America is big, California is massive, Cal, the United States is huge. You've really got to know those key players and all these different small counties and across the primary states, um, so you can really assemble your team. And there's you know ways, yeah, you can sit there and watch speeches or hearings on on TV, but like when you've really had that experience of having the one on one, seeing that person in person, seeing them walk the precincts with you, go to those things and repeatedly over and over. I think Senator Harris is she's very young, she's very aggressive, and has a great. Um, liberal uh, pathway for her. She will hold that seat for as long as she wants it, but it is she needs some more time in the oven. She's not ready for prime time yet. Peter, uh, your assessment, uh, we, we have an agreement here on, on Senator Harris. What's your uh, looking at the 2020 field, which is massive, uh, who stands out at this moment for you? You know, I agree with a lot of what um, your guests over there in Cathedral City said um, and characterizations of uh, Senator Harris. I I, I lead over to mention to Bruno. I, I actually do think, though, in a packed uh, primary, um, her sort of directness, frankness, and frankly, like her aggressiveness will help her rise um, above a lot of the uh, lesser, more forgettable candidates. And I think and the California primary is now what the third primary in, in the country. Mm-hmm. So I think it's it's really she's got the opportunity to be on a, a much bigger stage very quickly. And I mean, I can remember another junior senator who you know, rose very quickly as well and ultimately um, 
you know, became the president. So I, I, I think she's going to go far. Uh, let me close this out by saying I think Trump probably wants to run against Elizabeth Warren first and Kamala Harris second. Well, I, agree, I agree about Warren for sure, but I, I think he's Elizabeth actually Warren's in the race. We all know Harris. she's do- she uh, she wisely uh, announced and uh, dominated the, uh, the the weekend news. So listen, she, she we are moment. out of time. I want to for this is her moment, <clears throat> and we want to see how much beer she really can drink. <laughs> um, Peter Hanna, thank you very much for joining us thank back you. in Chicago. He's been one of our Democrats. Bruno Barron, thank you very much. For joining us back at home base in Chicago. And Charles Moran, we thank you very much for joining us here in Cathedral City. And Priscilla Richardson, thank you very much for your very first maiden voyage on Beyond the Beltway. Nice to have you with us. We appreciate all of your participation and wherever you're listening from coast to coast. I want to thank uh, Gary Wing, who is the uh, owner here at uh, KGX Real Talk in Cathedral City, California, as well as director Fritz Goldman and Sam Greenberg. They put a lot of effort into tonight's broadcast. We thank you very much. I'm Bruce Dumont. Good night from Cathedral City, California. Standing up for what's right, helping out when things go wrong, seeking the truth and speaking our minds, not just making records, but breaking them, leading the way behind the camera, beyond the runway, and on the silver screen, not just making our mark, but making a difference. Now that's a job for a Girl Scout. Girl Scouts, preparing girls for a lifetime of leadership. It's a bully, but we aren't afraid of a fight. It's elusive, but our focus never fades. It's deadly, but we were born to defeat cancer. You may not have heard of us, but our work has helped millions impacted by cancer. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. We are leaders in advancing breakthroughs in immunotherapy, genomics, and personalized medicine. This research saves lives. After 65 years of fighting blood cancers, we've arrived at a game-changing belief. The cures for cancer are in our blood. The drugs and treatments we've developed for blood cancers have helped people affected by many different types of cancers. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Beating cancer is in our blood. Learn more at LLS.org. Debt. We can all get in a bit too deep. Members of the NFCC, the National Foundation for Credit Counseling, can help you put debt in its place. Credit cards took charge of my financial life. An NFCC credit counselor helped me get back in control. I took charge of my debt. Student loan debt followed me wherever I went. My NFCC financial advocate taught me all I needed to know. I mastered my student loan debt. We wanted to buy our first home, but weren't sure if we were mortgage ready. Our NFCC housing counselor helped us make a plan. We're on a path to our first home. NFCC member agencies serve all 50 states and Puerto Rico. Convenient, helpful, knowledgeable, nonprofit. Financial advocates there for you. We We put put debt debt in in its place. Be one of 5 million people to beat debt by 2020. Connect with an NFCC certified credit counselor at your local member agency today. Go to nfcc.org slash stop debt or call 877-410-6322. 
Live from Chicago, it's Saturday Night Live, The Experience. Tuesday through Sundays and open late on Wednesday nights at the Museum of Broadcast Communications. Order tickets at museum.tv.